0: A podcast one production.
1: Welcome to Breaking Poverty, I'm Adam Shand Australians have been talking about breaking the cycle of child poverty for a long time Remember Bob Hawke's infamous promise of June 1987 By 1990, no Australian child will be living in poverty Three years later, the promise was unfulfilled Up to half a million children were living in poverty Roll forward to 2020 and the situation is much worse. There are now one in six young Australians living below the poverty line. The data shows we're doing worse than most other wealthy countries. And this after the greatest period of wealth creation in our history. As we became richer, more families were left behind. Now, following the coronavirus pandemic, Australia is in recession. Years of low growth and rising poverty are ahead as we adjust to a changing world economy. To compete in the global marketplace, Australia must invest in new skills that require higher levels of education than ever before. The challenge is to create equity in our society while offering strong financial incentives for staying in school. The goal is tertiary education, or an equivalent VET trade qualification, for all that want it. During the last global downturn in 2008, income for tertiary graduates in the OECD continued to grow, contributing more than half a percentage point to GDP as economies contracted by 4% on average. So where does this national goal of educational attainment begin, especially in a post-pandemic world?
2: Adam, before COVID-19, there were 1.2 million Australian children and young people living in poverty.
1: Anne Hampshire is head of research and advocacy at the Smith family.
2: I think when we talk with the broader community about that number, they're pretty shocked and horrified because they don't many times understand the size of poverty. And I think what we're likely to see because of COVID-19 is two things, more families, more children, more young people in poverty. But I hope one of the, in a sense, positive upsides of COVID, if there can be one, is that there'll be a deeper understanding across the community about poverty, about why it happens, about how we're all potentially just one step away from being in poverty. And so that there'll be a more collective community response to saying, particularly around child poverty, it's not right, it's not good, it does matter to us as a nation, and more importantly, I think, that it is solvable if we work together.
1: It's early morning, and in homes across Australia, the daily ritual begins. Getting kids ready for the day, making lunches, checking homework and ensuring that all the needs and commitments of the day are met. I tell you, Adam, it's
3: absolute bedlam, because they all want my attention all at once.
1: At a time when she should be in retirement, Vanessa is raising her four grandchildren single-handedly on Queensland's Gold Coast. It's called a grand family, and a growing number of children are being raised in this manner.
3: So we've got the first one who is Chevrolet. She is a little girl, and she's seven. Then I have Shelby, and he's a little gentleman, and he will be nine. Then I have Mercedes, and she is 12, female. And then I have Lexus, who is a year nine, and female.
1: Yes, all of Vanessa's grandchildren are named after luxury automobiles. Her own transport is much more modest.
3: (laughs) (laughs) It's nowhere near any of the cars I just mentioned to you, Adam. It's a... um, Hi Hyundai, 1998
1: Hi Hyundai. It's a daily struggle to meet the kids' needs, but one commodity this household is not short of is love. I'm a quite a big nanny, so I'm sure I can
3: spread my love around to all of them, but they all want me at once and that's when they're waking up because as soon as they're up, it's time to get dressed for school. I give them all the love that I can show towards them. So it's a cuddle time in the morning. They want to have all their cuddles. And they also want to know that, yes, they are going to have a good day at school today. And yes, I am going to make them a good lunch. And I'm also going to make their breakfast before they go. So that's not that they never, ever go hungry. But that's always one of the first things that they are asking. And, you know, you've got to feed the body to feed the brain so they can learn well at school. So that's the beginning of my day.
1: The COVID pandemic hasn't changed much in Vanessa's family, for which she's grateful. She and the kids have long known how to make do with less.
3: You know, with uh, having a roof over my head, having electric and having food in the cupboard, COVID doesn't impact on us that way, where a lot of people are doing it rough. I'm on a pension and I get not quite $1,000 a fortnight and $800 of that is rent not counting any power or food, but I shop at the cheapest places that I can get, hence my grandchildren always have the best that they can to take to school for their lunches and their meals.
1: On Vanessa's budget, educating the kids is beyond her means. The Smith family has been supporting this family for the past three years under the Learning for Life program. Vanessa hovers just above the poverty line and so raising four kids has been a struggle. She couldn't even buy the kids new clothes. Since then, the Smith family has been supporting Vanessa's family with uniforms, school books, fees, tutoring and extracurricular activities.
3: But, you know, I'm just so proud, I'm just so happy that I have Smith family in my life and in the lives of my grandchildren. I'm just so proud because, you know, as a grandmother trying to struggle bringing up the four grandkids, it has been a trial. And, you know, at many times I'm just praying, scream out to the Lord that I need help, and along comes Smith family.
1: It's been tough for Vanessa, but her aspiration for the kids is
3: the same as any parent. Mercedes always wanted to be a doctor, and she has been, you know, striving to make those steps towards becoming a doctor. Lexus always wanted to be in the modeling industry. And then Shelby wants to be a fiery or a policeman. And then little Chevrolet is wanting to be a nurse. And it hasn't changed. Over the last few years, they've been with Smith family. It still hasn't changed. And they still really want to see their dreams realised and becoming what they have been hoping for all their lives that they'll be able to achieve.
1: The digital divide has been a daunting challenge for Vanessa's family, as it is for every disadvantaged family, especially since COVID has meant home learning this year. The Smith family has helped the family get online, connecting them with schemes like Optus's Donate Your Data, which has provided them with SIM cards and internet. Crucially, Suncorp has provided a laptop computer.
3: So back when we had the total lockdown for COVID-19 and uh, the children were doing their homework from home, Oh, I tell you, Adam, I was just about going around the bend and that's honesty straight up because there was no way that I could even attempt to look at one of the children because I only had a little mobile cell phone. That's the only device that I had to try and access these programs for the children. Sometimes I was in tears because the kids are wanting to go on to uh, different programs, but because it starts from high school right down to the earlier years in primary school, it was really hard to try and see how are we going to do this on this phone. But, you know, luckily I was looked at and donated a laptop where it made my life and especially the children's uh, life so much happier in their whole homeschooling. It was just absolutely phenomenal about, you know, all the help and support that I had during that lockdown. And we are still continuing using that laptop to this day
1: where once they struggled to keep pace with their peers at school, the four children are making steady progress towards their goals. I'm
3: waiting for the end of Term 3 reports coming back. The reports have been really
1: good. This is a classic example of education's role in breaking poverty. From dire poverty and disadvantage, Vanessa's family can see a future. And this from a donation of $52 a month for each child from their sponsors. Like so many parents, Vanessa needs a hand up, not a hand out. To me, it seems like an excellent investment towards self-sufficiency and self-confidence.
3: Oh, you know, it's like the smile, you know, would never, the big smile that's on there because the children, they go off skipping off to school, they got a good lunch, backpack they got the shoes the socks the proper uniform you know even so much right down to the hair ties because the girls all got long hair so and then when they get off to school you know they even now taking somebody experiencing hardship at school I'll make a little bit more lunch so they can give it to the other child that hasn't got any.
1: Chief Executive of the Smith family, Dr Lisa O'Brien, says that assisting individual families makes a significant impact on our economy overall. Give our kids equal access, make them feel included and the students will do the rest.
0: So we know that, you know, kids, it's really important to them to feel that they fit in, that they have the things that they need when they go off to school. So not having the books or the uniform or the money for the excursion, it has a really tangible impact on these kids. It ever, ultimately, it affects their self-esteem and that in turn you know, affects their motivation and their engagement with their learning. So the way in which we support these families through our Learning for Life program, one of the key elements is that we provide some financial support directly to the family. That money has to be spent on educational essential items, including books, uniforms, sometimes also um, equipment like a laptop um, and money for excursions. And so, you know, we want these kids to feel like they fit in and they belong at school because we know that that improves their engagement with their education.
1: Because every parent rich or poor, city or country, wants the same things for their children, the same aspirations.
0: That's exactly
1: right, Adam. We, look, the families we
0: work with, they want the best for their children. But in many cases, you know, they struggle to provide that. So we partner with them around their child's education and trying to help them ensure that their child has the things that they need in order to really succeed at school. We
1: also see an archetype in the media, the single mother uh, who might be on welfare and she is so quickly demonised as being different. How often do you see that in the people that you work with, that all they're looking for is someone to give them a fair go and to treat them like everybody else?
0: Look, I think that would be the majority of families that we work with and they're either you know single parents. It can be a mother or a father who are single parenting. Sometimes it's also a grandparent or other Um, family member caring for the child on their own. And these individuals who are really struggling, you know, they absolutely want the best for that child. And I often think how fragile life is. When I meet these families and I hear their stories, you know, it just can be one or two random events that can push people into poverty where they actually need to turn to others for support.
1: Australia as a nation has worked hard to soften the impact of COVID-19 on our economy, but life for all of us is changing.
4: Well, I'm glad I'm living in Australia. So if you cast your mind back to the 2008 financial crisis, the Reserve Bank in Australia said to the then Australian government, go hard, go early, go household. In other words, start getting money out into the pockets of people at the household level and do it quickly. And that was what saved Australia. You know, Australia did not have a recession in 2008. All other Western countries had financial problems. We were the wonder down under. We've had the longest consecutive period of economic growth in the history of the Western world. The records begin in 1750.
1: Dr Keith Souter is one of Australia's leading economic historians and academics. He says Australia must invest in the so-called knowledge sector to secure our future. If we don't invest, living standards for all Australians will fall as we miss out on participating in new industries post-COVID.
4: We simply do not pay enough attention to boosting research and development in this country. We ought to be putting far more money into science research. You know, the cochlear implant is a brilliant scheme, but it's pretty rare. Mm. And so what we ought to be doing is putting more money into that area. Same with education. I'd get rid of all these student loans, I'd go on to the pattern that you see in Germany and Scandinavia, where education is free, and just focus far more on that type of education. There will be other tragedies coming down the turnpike, as the Americans would say. Now, let's talk about resilience. So my name is Fahad Khan. I'm currently
5: a first year medical student at Western Sydney University. And yes, I'm spending a lot of time studying and I'm also spending a lot of time on doing some social media stuff. So I just
1: keep myself busy during um, COVID-19 lockdown. <laughs> Fahad Khan is a good example of Dr Keith Souter's point about the return on investing in education. He grew up in Mount Druitt, one of the most disadvantaged areas of Western Sydney in a single-parent family. He's been supported by the Smith family since 2010 when he was in primary school, up until the end of his first degree. His mother raised Fahad and his siblings by herself and pushed them to get a good education. Fahad has a degree in neuroscience from the University of New South Wales and now is in the first year of med school. Fahad and his siblings have been inspired by their humble background and shared struggles.
5: I've got two older brothers and one younger sister. So there's four of us. So my oldest brother, he's working at Waterloo New South Wales and he does things like site visits. Uh, My second oldest brother, he graduated a medical science degree and he's doing an online business. And my younger sister, she's in year 11. She wants to do a few things, so she's not 100% sure, but I guess psychology was interesting and dentistry is interesting too. as
1: well. The achievements of Fahad and his siblings have helped the family make a definitive break with poverty. According to the World Bank, workers with tertiary education earn up to 84% higher wages than those with no post-secondary education. Australia is one of the best places in the world for graduate earnings. Fahad's family is no different to many others of the same background. The difference being a mindset not to accept the notion of being poor. No, I don't think it did because we never knew what anything else was like. So
5: for us, we lived in a housing commission unit for for basically most of our life. But for the first 10 years, we were in a housing um, unit in Auburn. And everyone we knew in the unit obviously was in the same boat. Our school was pretty much in the same boat because we had a lot of refugees. I think we had our primary school speaking 49 languages. So we had a lot of people from overseas coming from disadvantaged backgrounds, people who are much worse off than me. And I do specifically remember one time where someone said I was one of the more fortunate ones in my primary school. So I think... From that perspective, I never thought that I was missing out on anything. I didn't feel like I was living in poverty. I felt like I was one of the lucky ones. And I remember things like McDonald's, I didn't actually eat McDonald's until I was much older because we could never afford it. And I remember the first time we ever did, I felt like I was the luckiest person in my whole school because no one could really have that. So I guess from that perspective, if you take that all into consideration, because I never knew anyone out of that context, I felt like I wasn't living in any real hardship. I thought I had it easy.
1: We all need role models to boost our confidence in the future. And for Fahad, it was his mum. Yeah,
5: 100%. That's my mum. So in our family, we didn't really have any people who went past, say, Year 10 education. It was always doing very manual labour work, and there's nothing wrong with that. But it was just that that seemed like the only thing we could do. But my mum was the one to uh, go to university with four kids. She did it slowly and she graduated, and that made us believe that we could you know, also achieve, and we were more than just what our family was, you know, we could go on to university and do great things too. So definitely it definitely was my arm.
1: Getting tertiary qualifications is an insurance policy against hard times for Fahad. In the last global downturn, tertiary graduates maintained their income and spending better than non-graduates, adding up to half a percentage point in GDP. Recessions hit young people disproportionately hard. And the COVID recession will be the same. Dr Lisa O'Brien.
0: Look, I think you're absolutely right, Adam. I mean, I've been passionate about all young people having the opportunity to succeed in life and create a great future for themselves. But you're absolutely right. But the challenge that we're going to face over the next 10 years, at least, as we get our nation back on its feet... We need all young people to have the skills and the education to fully participate in our society as we rebuild.
1: Because that couple of extra years at school, we know from great studies around the world, has a tremendous effect on individuals, but also the progress of nations towards building literate appropriate workforces in a changing environment. Of course, right now, we've never seen such a period of change. So, that really places a lot of emphasis or demand on the education system and how we process people out of it, not just leave them behind.
0: That is correct. And one of the studies was done by the Mitchell Institute that conservatively estimated that every student who doesn't complete year 12 in Australia costs us a million dollars. And you know, there are far too many kids who aren't going on to complete year 12 or equivalent. And part of the reason it's so important, as you said, is because we know that young people who've completed to year 12, you know, they have more of the skills required to respond to changes in the labour market that they can adapt and they can develop new
1: skills because they have a strong foundation to build on. In part two of Breaking Poverty, we'll examine how critical education, especially tertiary, is for the future of nations. However, we face a possible poverty crisis just ahead as our economy comes off life support post-COVID. Investing in education will be a pressing community priority. Breaking Poverty is a Podcast One Australia production. Written and produced by Adam Shand. Edited and mixed by Matt Nikolich. Executive producer is Grant Tothill. Associate producer is Nolly Wayshand. Special thanks to the Smith family for their kind cooperation.